Good morning. <laughs> Happy, what is this, Tuesday? Happy Tuesday. My computer is slow. I don't know what's going on. You know, my computer does what it wants. I think because, you know, we talk so much trash about AI. The AI is like, I'm going to show you. Welcome to Love Babs. I'm talking about Babs Rolls Ivy. So I went to the gym yesterday, Harry. <laughs> I did my, I put in some time with Robert. Oh, I put my time in with Robert. And uh, it was, uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't kill me. I, I really think he took it easy on me. Uh, he took it easy. He took it easy on me, I think. Uh, so. Uh, I think he took it easy. Um, and I'm listen. I'm not complaining that one bit. Not one bit. Because my arms feel it. Yesterday was arms day. You know, first I had to get measured. You know, I've been going to him since 2018. So here we are, 2023. So that's a that's a relationship. <laughs> I think I have a good relationship with my with my trainer. <laughs> it's a good relationship. I see him when I want to see him. I'm committed. <laughs> I'm not seeing any other trainers. Okay. So, so yeah. So I got to the gym yesterday. Eleven thirty, and. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was good. It felt good to be back in uh, back in the gym. And uh, you know, he's gotten more equipment, a lot of equipment. Because his own, I think you know, there's a fine line between trainer and sadist. Just my observation. I'm no, I'm no trainer. I just play one on the radio. I'm no sadist. I just play one on the radio. <laughs> so I bought this hat yesterday because I've been taken to wearing hats because uh, I haven't had my hair colored in a minute or cut. So it's doing its own wild thing, which is fine. I need it to be a little wild and do its own thing for a minute. I'll get around to it at some point. We'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, so thank you, Robert Fulton. Yesterday was good. I go back tomorrow. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm going to do my level best. Monday, I'm not in, Harry. I'm having a colonoscopy. I was supposed to have it back. I don't know when I was supposed to have it back. October or sometime or other. Uh, but my doctor had to reschedule. So it's uh, December 3rd, 4th. And uh, early in the morning, which is fine, because I want to get it out the way. So, so yeah, so I got to go all the way to Meriden because insurance, uh, mid-state, mid-health, whatever it is. Uh, so um, 
I got to go have a colonoscopy. Then I got to go have a kidney MRI shortly next week or something or other. Shortly after that. So I'm, t I'm taking some sick days. That's what I'm doing. And uh, it's Giving Tuesday. Do you know it's Giving Tuesday? It's Giving Tuesday. So this is a day where people can give to their favorite nonprofits, you know, some of the neediest ones or the ones that you just really like. Um, the Freed Woman Fund uh, is 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 part of uh, Giving Tuesday. I just haven't... Um, I just haven't done anything. <laughs> it too many, it's too many moving parts. We have too many moving parts. Something is bound. Uh, something is bound to uh, fall by the wayside. So I was just going to stick it up there. And, uh, you know. Yep. So, you know, give. I think Mike could show up. I think. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, so if you feel inclined, the Freed Woman Fund is up. And uh, if you want to make a donation, make a donation. I'm good with it. I'm really good with it. And uh, and I wanna, I want everybody who needs to 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 give give, and if you're able to give give, that's all I'm gonna say. Do you know what I mean? So, I got guests coming on this morning at ten fifteen. Allison uh, Kegel from the Greater New Haven Community Chorus. They're celebrating sixty years. So the course is old as I am. <laughs> uh, they, they're as old as I am. I celebrate 60, they celebrate 60, but they got a big concert coming up on December 9th, I believe, to Center Church on the Green. Uh, and it looks like it's got a cast of heavy hitters and singing. So I, I might try to make that. I might get me a ticket. It's December not oh nope, can't do it. I'll be at Bill Graustein's house for the uh year of magical thinking. Yeah, I won't make that. Oh, so sorry. But if you can make it, I suggest you do. Uh, because I think that would be uh I think that'd be a lot of fun. And uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. So um, I'm I'm sorry. I'm a little distracted because I'm I'm looking at all the uh, I'm looking at all the news, you know, because there's so much news, you know, news. Uh, And and people are, 
You're cracking me up. I, I will say I'm still thinking about the quote that I gave yesterday. And, you know, every time that I procrastinate since I read that quote yesterday, it, I feel it in my gut. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's probably, I think that's the, the vibe. Like I'm supposed to feel it in my gut. You know, the, you know, the quote I gave on procrastination yesterday, procrastination is the arrogant assumption that God owes you another opportunity to do what you had time to do. Ooh, gut punch. So every time I procrastinated, I felt it. I mean, I felt, I felt that quote punching me upside the head. <laughs> like that quote is like Muhammad Ali, like, boop, boop, boop. So I felt that very much. Um, and I think I think it's driving me to get out of procrastinating. I think. You know. So. Anyway. It's one of those days. It's only Tuesday. But I think, I hear it's very cold outside. It's 35 degrees out. And, uh. You know, it hasn't been that cold here yet, so so I know everybody's freaking out. It's pretty warm in my house, so I'm I'm in. Uh, I got a few things that I got to do. I'm gonna get them done today. Uh, uh, I'm on my first call tonight for the writers' trip, the uh, writers' residency in uh, Senegal in February. And tonight we are having our first uh, orientation. So I'm excited by that because I get to see who else is going on this trip. I haven't booked my flight yet. Don't listen. It's a thing. I'm about to do it. It'll be done by the end of this week. I'll book it by the end of the week. You know, because I, I don't want to go in economy. I want to go... Um, premium because I want a little more room and I'm and I'm trying to go non-stop I don't want to stop <laughs> going or coming and I want good room going and coming you know so so I gotta put some money down so I'm just gathering my resources so that I could meet this challenge head on that's what I'm doing so I'm excited That's what I want to be doing. So, so anyway, uh, what is going on in the world? How oh, uh, former police lieutenant Billy White passed away. I didn't realize he was 80 years old. Sheesh. I guess, you know, it just, I think it punctuates the era of that time. You know, the beat down posses in New Haven. You know, he was a cop that was like, you know, I, he was a cop that was assigned to dealing with drug stuff and then he became a drug dealer <laughs> and got pinched for it I guess and you know gosh those when I think about those days I think about those days when you know he ran these streets uh I, I guess it makes sense because I'm 60 so I mean, he would be, you know, 20 years older than me, right? Because that's what it would be. So, you know, so when I was 20, he was already 40. 
So that would, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, when you see these, when people like this pass, you know, it takes you back to that moment in time. And that's, a, and it's a large moment of time. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at this place now in my life where when these kinds of things happen, I have memory of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, when you're a kid and you see something, people die or famous people or infamous people, and you had no connection to it because you were young and whatever. But I have connection to this. Like, I have real connection to this. I mean, not only was it in my lifetime, but I was very much present, you know, and around, you know. So so it just seems, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think there's only four comments, which I'm surprised. I thought it'd be a lot more comments. You know, I thought it'd be a lot of condemnation. Uh, Ross Lee chimed in, the so-called war on drugs decimated Black communities as it was in, an, in all actuality, a war on Black people. I'm not so sure why Paul just didn't write that. Wait a minute. Yes, I do. <laughs> Susie Q said he did some bad, but he did more good. Maybe may, may he rest in peace. And Miguel Pittman Sr. said that's similar to Donald Trump thinking very fine people on both sides. <laughs> uh, and then CJ215 said drug dealing was the primary way that street gangs made money to fund other criminal activities selling of crack heroin designer drugs illy wet and many other drugs caused addiction and a rise in crime in any city the primary victims of this were the residents of cities who lived under the fear of active drug selling gangs groups etc and the majority of com complainants of this activity lived in affected neighborhoods. They needed and demanded help. They got the help and drug dealers got locked up. They got the help from police while those who benefited looked the other way, made simpleton excuses for the activity, and in many cases worked police efforts. Rest in peace to an imperfect person who worked many long years, suffered personal tragedy, got in trouble, and paid his price to return his, to his family. Well, those are points of views. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they're going to say about me when I pass. So, uh, uh, I mean, I, I think the drug game is, is very complicated, orchestrated, deliberate. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't, few, few white people can talk about the war on drugs and, and what it really was. Few white people can have that ability uh, because white people and, and matters of race in this country uh, have a tough time. They don't like looking through a racial, white folks don't like looking through a racial gaze. They would rather pussyfoot around everything but race. And everything in this country, every law, every regulation, every every housing development, everything is 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 about race. And and white folks don't seem to don't seem to want to delve into those waters, you know. They'll go so far, 
you know, even the ones, even the best of the ones will go so far. I mean, there's only a handful who will really get in the weeds about what race is in this country and how race has been uh, the foundation for everything that has happened to people, to people, black people in particular of color. You know, there's things that just white folks just don't want to delve into or talk about. You know, they, they'll talk about slavery as long as it's polite and and not messy and 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 deflects from from them and their ancestors. Do you know what I mean? White people will do that. Um and, and I get it. I mean I guess I get it because it's you know when you start delving into the waters of enslavement and how when you on its merits you 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 say white people went to a whole continent <laughs> kidnapped a whole bunch of folks for years for for 400 years they did this <laughs> brought them here and other points in between to work for free and when they started to when 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 other white folks started to get outraged about this and and, and people of color started to understand that they could fight back and then white folks found themselves outnumbered by the many slave enslaved persons that they brought to these shores and to the Caribbean, then they had to create ways to curtail movement of enslaved people. At one point I read there were more enslaved people, there were more black people in New York City uh, uh, during the times of enslavement than there was white people. And if you don't believe that that didn't spur, <laughs> you talk about a fear of a black planet. They was fear of a black colony. So when you start thinking about the, the breeding plantations where they would breed black people for their own den, these are things that really happen. White folks can't get, they can't wade in those waters. They cannot. <laughs> When they when you start talking about how black babies were fed to alligators in Louisiana and Florida and all these other places as bait, they can't get in these waters. When they when you start talking about the gynecological gains uh uh in in modern history were done on the backs of black women without anesthesia, consent, or respect, they can't get in these waters. <laughs> They, they just, they can't. <laughs> so when you want to talk about genocide, Holocaust, all those things, it begins with white people. And white people can't contend with that. They just can't, can't contend with it. So of course, powers that be want to shut it all down because if you don't talk about it, if you don't explore it, then it doesn't exist. And I'm not hating on white people, but I, white people don't seem to want to walk in truth about these things ever. So there's a handful of scholars, there's a handful of freedom fighters, there's a handful of uh woke folks who 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 don't mind weeding in the in into the into the weeds and get into it and 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 know that it is painful for them as it is for us and but know that they have to get to the heart of it. But white folks as a rule they're not going they're not going to write about it they're going to gaze over it you know we talk about the white gaze we are talking about when white people look at an issue and they see it very differently than we do that's theater that's art that's music you know very few white people are 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 aligned with black people so few 
So few white people know any good any know any black people or people of color. Just just don't know them. <laughs> Have no reason to know them. They don't go to their house. They don't vacation with them. They're not friends with them. Any of that kind of stuff. You could I you could walk. You could find so many white people who have no personal connection to black people in their neighborhoods, in their towns, in their grocery stores, <laughs> whole, whole communities. And I dare say white, black people, we've always had white folks among us, around us, over us, near us. We just, we just policing us, you know, teaching us. We just always had the experience of white people. You know, so when I talk about the ways of white people, I'm not just guessing. I'm talking from personal experience. <laughs> Plus I read. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't talk about white people to shame white people, although they could shame themselves. I mean, they could, they could really just shame themselves, but shame is not gonna get you anywhere because what we need to get to is uh a reconciliation of past and present. That's what we need to get to, you know. So, so white folks feeling some kind of way about history leaves them stuck, not getting to not getting to the other side. And that's what I really want to say to white people: if you just wade through, wade through, absorb it, you know, and 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 learn from it, then you could get on the other side. But they they won't. You spend too much time suppressing and hiding, banning books and, you know, don't say that and don't talk about that. You know, it just, it just creates a, a strong pushback. You know, it, it just creates a strong pushback, you know, and, and gerrymandering and, and, and voter suppression is just more ways to curtail the movement of black people, you know, because the fear is that, this is the honest to God truth I think white people feel that they think that we as people will do to them what they did to us for 400 and some odd years. And, and there's nothing in our history that says black people are even operate from that, from that playbook. Like there's nothing in our history that says we will operate from that playbook. If anything, uh, black people are, are some of the most gracious, kindest people on the planet. Now, damn, damn all the stuff that you hear about, uh, uh, what is going on in Africa with with uh, you know coups and all this other kind of stuff? That's just that's just ingrained colonialism, right? That's just white supremacy taught at a level where they it's like, well, we're gonna use their tools because these are the tools that they use. We're gonna use them. But there's nothing in the history of black people that says we will behave that way. I'm just saying. I, I'm not saying black people are better. But I think in a, in a sense of consciousness, you know, for the most part, we, we're not going to behave that way. I, black people are not interested in enslaving people. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some pimps and pushers out there who enslave women every day, all day in these streets. There are some black people who are about that life. There are some black people who will use the tools of white supremacy against their own people. There are those people out there. And I I, I say that with all clear understanding. <laughs> what does Zora Neale Hurston say? All our skin folk ain't our kin folk. Do you know what that means? <laughs> and I, I think I think white folks need to have a reckoning around that Zora Neale quote 
so that they so that they can get past well my ancestors i'm not my yeah you are your ancestors but in being your ancestors does not mean you have to repeat the harm of your ancestors that you could use that history flip it on his ear and work toward anti-racism matters that you can dismantle uh, uh, racist systems. And that's what that's what free black people are calling for. You know, and when I mean free black people, free thinking black people who 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 think beyond the lines of politics and uh, and social constructs. Black people who are like, I see a I see a brighter day, bigger picture and 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 the horizon is not that far. So uh, we need white folks to tear down the social constructs that they built uh, uh, through the tools of white supremacy. That's that's really what we're talking about, you know. But those are hard conversations to have because white people are stuck on, oh, I'm not racist. All right, whatever. The minute that you say that, you know what happens? You are racist. You know, just deal with the part that is racist. You know, just deal, just deal with it. And just you know, and just get on with it. You know, and and every day that you feel when you when you when you see racism well up in you, point it out and say, "I see you." Ah, that I'm being racist. You know, don't be def don't defend, don't deflect. Just just make space for and move through it. You know, I'm just saying. That's that's why we don't have this is why I don't have these I don't have conversations with white people about racism. I just don't do it. Cause I don't know enough white people who come to it uh without being defensive and without being uh uh upset and mad and oh, you know, that kind of stuff. I just don't I I've said this for years and years and years. I just don't have these conversations with white people. I leave it to more skilled people to have these conversations with white people. I'm not Listen, so when I say I don't have conversations with white people, white people will hear me say, well, we shouldn't be having conversations with white people, that black people. That's not what the hell I'm saying. <laughs> see, you see what I mean? Because white people will hear that and think, oh, Babs thinks black people shouldn't be talking to white people about race. I, that's not what the hell I said. What I'm saying is Babs Rawls-Ivy does not engage in conversations about race with white people. There are more skilled scholars and, and community folks and all kinds of folks who have the talent and the patience to do it. I'm not in that camp. I've never been in that camp. <laughs> I don't like I don't like these conversations. I don't have them with white women. I don't have them, I damn sure don't have them with white men. I don't, I, and, and then white folks will say, and some black people will say, well, how are they going to learn? How, who going to learn? <laughs> who, who is the they? Oh, you mean white people? So we don't instruct them. They can't learn. They've had 400 and some odd years of books and stuff and, and, and control of history and information. But yet we must on our backs teach them. Get the hell out of here. If they, if white folks really want to know about the history of this country, they would do their due diligence and go learn about the history of this country. Every institution in this country got some historical skin in the game. Hell, walk yeah, Yale got a whole, a whole, uh, a whole department on slavery, and you know the Bainiki is chock full of documents, and so you can learn. Hell, 
Go to any good public library. We got some good free public libraries here in New Haven. Hell, I know folks who got study groups around these kinds of matters. Get into it. But don't invite me because I don't have the stomach, the patience, the wherewithal, the temperament, or the talent to have these conversations without slapping the crap out of somebody. <laughs> so you don't want me in these groups. I'm not the one to be in these groups. But I know people who are very good at it, like Bob Pellegrino and Mike Jefferson. Uh, they are amazing at this kind of stuff. Uh, 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 you know, uh, Elizabeth Nearing. And, uh, um, um, there's a lots of people who can have these, these, uh, these uh, facilitated conversations around race in this country. I, I'm just not one of them. And listen, I am, I am hella talented on a lot of fronts. I own that. I am not talented or skilled in the facilitation of race conversations and race history. I admit that. I don't play them games. So when white folks start that mess, I'm just like, Oop. I just let them walk on in willful and deliberate ignorance and stupidity because I can't, I cannot push back on that. I don't have the, I don't have the temperament because what happens is. Uh, when white folks want to push back on conversations about race, it's one because they don't got no black friends or friends of color. They might, they might be associated with some folks through work or or volunteer stuff, but they don't really have no deep and abiding friendships with people of color. Because if they did, they would have already had some of these conversations, or they would be. I, this is my friend. I want to know about my friend's culture, history, whatever. I'm going to go learn this stuff and then be able to sort of identify and understand them. You know, I, I've spent the last couple of years not reading any books by white people. <laughs> and I'm just saying it now. I'm just reading books by black authors until I, until, until, until I'm not reading books by black authors. And people are like, uh, and a few people know this about me, but I'm 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 confessing it today. And people are like, "Well, why? Why?" I'm 60 years old. Every book that I've read up until a particular point has been from and by about white people. The history that I've learned has been by and from white people. The novels that I've read have been by and about white people. And black people have been sort of backdrop or accessories in in these in books and novels and movies and TV shows, you know, uh, we've not been centered. And so I made it my point to like, you know, I'm gonna spend time reading scholars across the diaspora uh, and across uh, 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 all economic landscapes. So I my books, I have tons. Now that doesn't mean I won't read books by white people because I do. I'm just saying, I make it a point these people get on my nerves. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I just, uh, uh, I just spend my time, I just spend my time doing that. So that's how I want to, that's what I want to do. And, um, and people could sort of take it or leave it. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not sweating that. <laughs> I don't sweat it. You do, do you.
do do what's in your best interest. So yeah, so so I say all that to say, you know, we we've got some uh we've got some reconciliation work to do in this country. Real real uh reconciliation work. And uh uh, it would be good um, uh, if we could get to it. And I think there are pockets of it, you know. I think there are pockets of people. Uh, it's not a groundswell yet of these discussions, but I, I remain hopeful. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful like anybody else. I'm hopeful. <laughs> I'm hopeful. So So anyway. I'm I'm pondering going to see the Malcolm X opera. And then I found out this damn thing is three hours and 45 minutes. Three hours, 40 minutes. Malcolm X opera, X the opera. And you know, I had Anthony Davis on my on the show a month or so ago because they had did some work up the they had did a production over at the uh Schwarzman Center. They, I think they are getting ready to take the Broadway or off Broadway or somewhere, um, and uh, and I think the Schwarzman folks are going to go see X. Uh, they're gonna, I think they're chartering a bus and going. And, uh, and my friend Marjorie wants to go, and I found out I was like, oh, three hours and forty minutes. You know how many times I'd have to get up and go to the bathroom? Oh my God! I'm sure it's fabulous. I know it's fabulous, you know, and the Met is a beautiful place to go with all that artwork, all that, you know, it's beautiful. And every time you go to the Met, you know, I don't get no land acknowledgements for the black community that they bulldoze or bulldoze to make the Met, you know, the Lincoln Center. <laughs> There's no land acknowledgement for, for Central Park. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm just in a mood. Just just know I'm in a mood. I'm in a mood. Um, so so I don't know. Now I'm rethinking. You know, if it was two hours, I was like, all right, but three hours and forty minutes. And 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 you know, I just saw an article about um, you know, the length of things. Uh, and I think um the the Martin Scorsese film. Um, about the indigenous massacre of folks or what they were doing to indigenous people uh, out there in the Midwest to get their oil from them and their land. Um, uh, and they talked about the length of the film and how, um, you know, pe people's people's uh, attention spans are shortened. That people don't want to sit for two or three hours. And I think the article is making the case that Sit for the three hours, the three hours and more, so that you could get a deeper understanding of the film. Because sometimes a longer story is the better way to go to tell the story. And I, I'm not going to argue with that because that's the truth, you know. So I'm just thinking about, I'm just thinking about, uh, I'm just thinking about, uh, I'm just thinking about three hours and 45 minutes, you know. <laughs> I'd have to go to a matinee because if you go to an eight o'clock show, 
or 7.30 show. I mean, even if they started that damn thing at 7, 8, 9, 10, 10.40. <laughs> so if you go to a 3 o'clock matinee, 3, 4, 5, 6.40. Maybe somebody will, uh, they'll, you, know, they, you know what they do sometimes, they'll video it and then they'll put it out. You know, you could watch it, you could stream it. You know, like somebody will film it and then stream it later, you know, as part of, or, you know, they could live stream it. You know, you buy one ticket and maybe that's what they should do. Because that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot even for me. And I will sit through long stuff. <laughs> no problem. I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with that, but I live in Connecticut, a three hour, 40 minute show. I had to get there. It takes me two hours to get there, two hours to get home. But that's a lot. Uh, but you know, I, so I, I get both sides of it. You know what I mean? Like I, I get both sides. I get I get both sides. So I get both sides. So I don't know. I mean it's historic. And you know, you want to be able to sort of say I was there then. You know, because this is just history in the making, right? Um, and you want to be able to say, I was in that space. And and when do you ever get to, to be a part of something this grand and big and groundbreaking and history making? You know, so you don't want to miss out. At least that's how I think about things. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if anybody else thinks about them like that, but I think about it that way. And uh, yeah, so... You know, anyway, Ugh. that's the world that we live in. That's the world. So, so I'm, so I'm contemplating going to see X the opera. I'm, I'm contemplating, and uh, you know, Marjorie Kaplan wants to go, and uh, I, I texted, I emailed her this morning. First, I asked a question, then I was talking to her daughter Rebecca. And Rebecca said, you know, it's three hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> She's like, are you up for that? I was like, three hours and 40 minutes? Oh, my God. What the hell could they be singing about for three hours and 40 minutes? <laughs> Spike Lee's Malcolm X movie wasn't that long, was it? <laughs> oh, my God. So I don't know. And it's opera, too, so... I mean, I know it's beautiful. I know, and I I might want the the soundtrack to it. Who knows? I don't know. I'm sure to win awards just for its execution and just just for the bravado of it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know more than me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm on the fence. I'm thinking about it because you know I would love to sort of make it an afternoon. You get there, you have lunch. Da -da. But three hours and 40 minutes, really, 
that makes for a very long uh, experience. I'm not saying it's not worth it. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm sure it is worth all the time. But, you know, Marjorie, Marjorie is an um, uh, uh, elderly woman. And, uh, and, I, and I'm, listen, her endurance is probably way better than mine. You know, I bet I would put money that her endurance is way better than mine. <laughs> you know, but I also know when you get with elderly people and they had enough, you got to roll. <laughs> so two hours in, she was like, okay, I've had enough. Or an hour in, I'm ready to go now. You know, so you got to have that kind of contingency to, you know, plan in place. Uh, and, you know, we're not going to get in the subway. We're not going to take a train. We're not going to get in a taxi uh, because she's an elderly woman. And COVID is still very much with us and respiratory stuff. And, you know, so that would be car service directly to Lincoln Center and directly back. You know, we're not stopping for cocktails. No, we're not. <laughs> we'll put a flask in the car if we feel so inclined. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. So. You know, it's that kind of thinking. Uh, uh, that's what I'm thinking about. So so I'll keep you posted on what I figure out for this for this theatrical performance. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go. I'm going to go look it up. Um, I'm going to look up. Uh, uh, the ex opera. Ooh, no, that's the wrong thing. Oh, shoot. You know, when you have two keyboards and you have one in front of you, you always think, oh, it's this one. No, it's not that one. It's this one. So I'm going to look it up and see. And God knows uh, what the what the ticket prices are. <laughs> that's That's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how that. Uh, no. Damn it. Uh, uh, at the Met. So, but this keyboard. Uh, the P doesn't work. <laughs> so, so when I type the P, I can't get the P. Do you know what I mean? So it's a pain in the butt. It's a pain in the butt. So the X, the life and times of Malcolm X. Oh, nice. Thank you. Thank you, Harry. Oh, no, I didn't mean to put a laugh signal. I meant to put heart. Oh, that'd be good. Uh, so anyway, uh, Allison uh, Kegel was coming on at 10.15. And, you know, people don't understand how live radio works. People just be texting me, all this other kind of stuff. Like, you know, I'm on air right now. I can't. Uh, thought I said that, but maybe I didn't. That's all right. So anyway, I got a few minutes before I take a break. Content advisory, X, the life and times of Malcolm X contains strong language. That means some cussing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, 
it's three hours and 20 minutes. It's shaved off 20 minutes. So the first act is 60 minute. There's a 20 minute intermission. I don't even, is that enough time to get everybody to the bathroom? I don't know. The, then the act two is 50 minutes. Then there's another intermission. And then act three is 50 minutes. And then the opera ends. You know, and it's like six people in this, six people in this whole thing. I mean, uh, as the characters, you know, um, it's, I mean, it's, it looks beautiful. Uh, it just looks beautiful. I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, they could stream it somewhere. You know, make it into something that I could like watch, you know, like put it on Netflix or something. I could watch at my leisure and I could like stop it and go to the bathroom when I feel like it. <laughs> oh, the tickets are pretty good. They start at uh, 37 bucks. So, you know, if you if you just want to be in a space, you pay that. Uh, 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 so the, the, there's a November 28, 7.30 p.m. Uh, December 2nd at 8 p.m. Oh, God. Oh, so they added some productions. So it's a good chance that we're not going to. It runs from November 3rd to December 2nd. So it's unlikely that we'll even get to see this thing. Because uh, we're running out of time. Oh, gosh. So it's only two more performances left. Uh, November 28th, which is today. And then Saturday uh, at 8 o'clock. Oh, shoot. Okay. That's it. All right. Then it's safe to say we're not going. Because that's, what do you, I mean, that's a lot. That is so much. Oh, that's a heartbreak. But, you know, we just, she just decided she wanted to go. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, these are what's left. So, yeah, we're not going. That's too late. There's no matinee. There's no matinee. Are they done? There's no matinee on Saturday? Like, just Saturday night and then that's it? Hmm. Bummer. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, Monday through Friday, tickets are available every performance. And for Saturday evening, oh, wait, there's a two o'clock show. Wait. Oh no, these are buy rush tickets. So if you wanted to buy the $25 tickets, you could get the rush tickets. You know. So uh okay, so it is being taped. So uh so please note that the video cameras will be operating during the November 14th and November 18th performances as part of the Mets live in HD series of cinema transmission. Oh, so if they taped it, then they're gonna they're gonna box it up and use it for something else. And I guarantee you, they'll box it up and use it for like PBS. <laughs> you can own X, <laughs> the opera, and I, and actually, that's not a bad idea. I, that's not a I would own it because then I could watch it whenever I felt like watching it from the comfort of my own house and bathroom, and I could have the use of my own bathroom and kitchen and snacks. I'm just saying. So I'm just saying. 
I'm just saying. So, darn. Well, I don't know what the reviews are. I'm sure they're really good. I'll go and look. Uh, but, you know, listen, if you've never been to the Met, it's such a glamorous, decadent place. Uh, it's a beautiful space. I love coming down that stairway. I love when I'm in the, in the theater proper and the chandeliers go up. Ah, oh, that me. That to me is pure magic. When the chandeliers go up and they don't like fly up, they like, they just like ascend, like a slow ascension to the heavens. You know, it's beautiful. It takes your breath away. Because I, I uh, Sarah Lulu and I went to the premiere of um, Shut Up in Our Bones, the Charles Blow opera, uh, based on his book, his autobiography or memoirs or whatever. And uh, it was great. I mean, it was long. Uh, but just to be in the theater was just, you know, it's an incredible feeling to sit to see live theater. So, and 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 an opera, no less, with just Black people. And it wasn't Porgy and Bess. <laughs> no shade to Porgy and Bess. I love you, Porgy. Right? Who doesn't love that? Don't let them take me. If you can keep me. I want to stay, right? So I'm no singer. I'm just playing one on the radio. But that's just a gorgeous, I don't care who sings. It's just a beautiful, just a beautiful song. Uh, Nina Simone singing it. Whoever sings is beautiful. So, so anyway, I'll be back with um, Allison uh, Kegel from the Grady New Haven uh, Allison Community Chorus. Uh, they've got a concert coming up on the Central Church of the Green. And I'm delighted to have her as a guest. So I'll be back at 1015. Hi, this is Babs Rawls-Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut. And you're listening to WNHHLB 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. They're old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet The words repeat Of peace on earth Good will to men I thought as now This day had come The belfries of all Christmas had rung so long the unbroken song of peace on earth good will to men and in despair no peace on earth I said for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth good will to men then pealed the bells 
echoes more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth. Stuck in my chimney, stuck in my chimney. Santa Claus got stuck in my chimney when he came last year. Poor Santa Claus. Santa Claus got stuck in my chimney, stuck in my chimney, stuck in my chimney. Santa Claus got stuck in my chimney. He won't come back. This is Harry Drozd.
I've been staring at distant shores. I've been waiting, wanting more for the whole night. And it ain't right. I've been saying what's on my mind. Trying to explain what can't be defined. And for so long, it's been so strong. Suddenly it's clear. Now that I can hear these love notes, the ones that I wrote, oh, these melodies, here are some memories, and these love notes I found in an old coat mean something new.
snow Let it snow Let it snow Let it snow And it doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought some corn for popping The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home slowly dying and my dear goodbye but as long as you love me so let it snow let it snow let it snow beautiful people welcome back to the second hour of love babs love talk i'm delighted hey the greater new haven uh community chorus is celebrating 60 years we're the yeah. same age me, me and the chorus are the same age allison so allison oh Keeler, my gosh we gotta have our birthday parties together <laughs> so Allie, it's allison right allison kegel allison you me Allie. people you Al Allie, Allie is the artistic director for the for the uh, Greater New Haven uh, Community Chorus. And they're, they're having a big concert coming up on December 9th at the Center Church. And uh, I, I was on the website, like, you know, just checking it out. I was like, 
wow, this is pretty darn big. So tell me about, tell me about, tell me a little bit about the, uh, the, the choral, the chorus. Well, I, um, I became the artistic director at last year. So this is my, um, the third, the third concert that I'm planning. Um, and the chorus has been around for 60 years. They started out singing, um, row, row, row your boat in, in canon. <laughs> and then, you know, it grew and grew. It's, you know, it's around, um, usually around a hundred people. And we, wow. Yeah. 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 It's a big group. It's fun. Um, and they're amazing people, you know, amazing people with amazing stories, all different ages. We have people who have been in the chorus for, for 35 years. And so, it's a volunteer chorus. Like, what do you put a call out for people? Like, hey, we're taking new singers. Come sing with yeah, us. Yeah, and it's unauditioned. Anybody can join. So oh, really? You don't need you don't need to sing for me. You don't you don't need to <laughs> sing at all. You can just show up um, and join us. So, um, so it's not like American Idol. No, well, I mean, <laughs> it, it is because some of the people are amazing, um, and we're superstars, but. Um, you don't have to sing by yourself to get in. You can just come. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay, so 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 is the music uh, just for religious worship? No, no, it's all different types of music. Um, yeah, uh, really, we do music from from every culture, from every creed. Um, and um, this concert, this upcoming concert is is sort of a winter holiday concert, but it that's not always the shape the winter concert takes. Uh, you know, we we really do all types of music. Well, you got uh, you you're doing the music of Margaret Bonds, who I'm a huge yes. fan of because you know I go to the symphony, which I think you might know. I'm, I'm a oh big wow, fan. and they've been showcasing um, um, Florence Price, Margaret Bonds. Um, and so, so I know her music because of the New Haven Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. And then you got the words of Langston Hughes, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And they, they were frequent collaborators and also, um, just really, uh, connected as a pair, um, felt really a lot of artistic affinity with each other. Um, and, um, it's interesting that the, the Ballad of the Brown King is the, the sort of centerpiece of our concert, um, and um, it's a New Haven is an exciting place to learn about Margaret Bonds because her papers or and, and her scores are at the Beinecke. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, and that's actually really, um, really, unfortunately, her her scores are not in print. So, for example, to oh. get this piece of music, I had to go to the Beinecke and take pictures of it. Oh, my gosh. Really? And there's absolutely no explanation for why her music isn't in print other than racism. It's amazing music. It's incredibly sophisticated. She was a master, a master of classical music, a master of jazz music. You can see like the in in just looking at her work, like how um, how amazing and brilliant her mind was and how much she knew about all types of music. Um, but you can't, you can't order it. Like normally when I order music for the choir, I, you know, I go online and I purchase the music, but you can't do that with Margaret Spahn's music. None of it, none of it's in print. Um, so I, you know, it was, it was neat. I got to go to the Beinecke and when I was taking pictures, um, you, you can see, um, her dedication, for the mm. for the score, like in her handwriting, it, it's dedicated to Martin Luther King. 
um, which which was a an intentional, um, I don't know if we would call it a pun, but a, intentionally a, a double meaning um, that the, the Brown King is Balthazar, the Brown I King, love it. The, the baby Jesus. And it's also the Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King. I love uh, it. And so this, the, the piece is a piece about Christmas. It's also a piece about the civil rights movement. Um, so that was really cool seeing, seeing. So how did you, how did you, so when you decided to do this winter concert, was this in mind? Like, how did you, how did you just say, I want, I want that Margaret Bonds piece. And then I got to go, then I got to go take pictures of it. (laughs) Well, really it was me coming to a place, um, both personally and, and as the leader of this organization, um, our organization is not as diverse as we would like it to be. Um, we were maybe like 20% people of color and 80% white people, which is not, it's not impressive as a New Haven organization. We w- we want, we want to increase the diversity of our organization. We want it to really represent the New Haven community. Um, so thinking like, how can I do that? How can I grow in that direction? And, and also my own personal realization that I've been um, a choir director for 20 years now and have predominantly been programming works by white men. Um, I, even growing up as a a singer, growing up in choirs, none of my choir directors were women. Um, And I I rarely, rarely sang a piece, you know, could count on one hand the number of pieces I sang that were written by women. And then, and then the, um, the art, the art music by, African-American people that that is done most commonly by choirs is um, gospel, you know, African-American spiritual. So I've done a ton of that. But this art music, this classical music that's by um, people of color, by black women is so underperformed that I've made it through my entire career and I haven't done anything. So, you know, coming to terms with myself, like it's time. You know, it's mm-hmm. time to do this and to really learn this music and to program it and to sink into it and to include it in all of my programs. Um, I had a baby, actually. My my baby daughter is, um, she's African-American and I had her last December. Um, Congratulations. So want, thank you. Yeah, I want her to have a mom that's programming this music. <laughs> um, and I mean, it's been actually, it's felt like an incredible relief to me. Mm-hmm. to program this concert. Um, the, the concert is all music by African-American women. Um, and I just like, I can't tell you the, like, I feel like a burden has been lifted off of me after this like career of doing music predominantly by people who are so different from me. Um, and I, I'm just like, I'm so moved by it, but also I, you know, there's this other side of it, which is so unfortunate that this, um, the two big, big composers, Florence Price and Margaret Bonds, you can't order their music. It's all of it's out of print. You have to go to great lengths to find it and figure out how to get it. Um, I was hoping to do the orchestral version of the Margaret Bonds, mm-hmm. uh, but getting the orchestra music is a wild goose chase. I called like publish. You first, you call one publisher and they say, no, we don't have it anymore. It's this publisher. And then you call that publisher. No, we don't have it anymore. It's this publisher. 
And then the it's a dead end where you don't get any calls back from the final publisher. Um, oh, you might want to have a call a conversation with Alice Daniel before he leaves because you know he got a, he got a, he got that Florence Price music over there because he's yeah it's true I actually didn't realize years. they were they were do I didn't realize they were doing that so I definitely will call him because um, did he also do some of did he do some of Margaret Bonds yes he did he did uh, Margaret Bonds Florence Price. And the other of the and one other woman. Oh, I can't think of her name. It'll come to me later. Um, and they did a whole. They did a whole. He's been doing it for the last almost three years of this music since the. Oh, pandemic. that's awesome! I and actually didn't realize that was happening. So I definitely should connect with them about that. Oh, I you mean, absolutely should call them and yeah, and, and, and he'll have great conversation. I had them on the show each time they they uh oh, watched her her yeah in, in any of their work um. So I think it's like, uh, uh, yes, um, uh, Helen Hagen. Oh, great. Yeah, so Helen Hagen, Florence uh, uh, Price, and uh, Margaret Bonds. Um, yeah, I'm sad that I home. missed it. I mean, the reason I missed it is because I, you know, I'm a single mom of two kids working three jobs. So, like, I, <laughs> I have not been going to concerts in the past three years. Um, yeah, but, you know, like, um, Margaret Bonds, I... I grew up in Chicago with a single parent. Margaret Bonds grew up in Chicago with a single parent. Um, I just, it's like, I just feel so, um, so connected and, and so also just impressed. And you know, she has connect, she has New Haven roots too. Like she has a, she has a New Haven story. So yeah. So yeah. So very similar to you. You're here. Yeah, exactly. I, it's, it's really, um, I haven't been this excited about, a composer in a long time. That's good. So, now, does that, so does that mean you like now you now you have to go and like look for other music that might be obscure? Because let me tell you, the New Haven Symphony Orchestra has really spearheaded people listening to um, uh, Miss Florence's work. Yeah, like they've been they've been all over the place now. Everybody's discovering or rediscovering. Um, yeah, uh, Florence Price's music and uh, yeah. Uh, and it's it's wonderful to sort of see across the country different uh, orchestras taking this on. So I I had no idea uh, there was a choral connection to like a chorus connection to it. Right, and and also I mean she she clearly knew what she was doing writing for choir. She clearly had a ton of experience and was an expert on how to write for choir. It's funny because last year um, we were doing Haydn. We were doing a hide and mass and it was really a mess. Like, like really you looked at the music and you thought, oh my God, he had no idea what he was doing when he wrote this piece of music. He doesn't know anything about writing for a choir. And then you get to Margaret Bonds and everything is perfect, perfectly placed. Like every detail, it, you know, is just so fastidious and so expert. And there are all these references to all of this other music. There's references to jazz. There's references to like the British choral tradition. There's references to Bach. Like she, she was such a musical expert and, and um, so meticulous with her craft um, that, I mean, it, it's embarrassing that it, to all of us, I mean, that it, that it's not, hasn't been out there for the, for the past 20 years, for the past 40 years. Um, so it's, I mean, it's really exciting to me to discover this new music. Uh, Margaret Bonds actually, um, she studied with Florence Price. Yes. Um, 
And Florence Price, actually, when Margaret Bonds, Margaret Bonds lived with her mom, who was a, a musician and music teacher. And and they um, they housed musicians that were coming through Chicago. And so actually, Florence Price lived at their house for a little while when Margaret Bonds was a child. And then and then Margaret Bonds studied with her more formally. Um and Florence Price is also a great composer for voices, like really well-crafted pieces. They're like, they actually, um, in some ways, it reminds me of doing Clara Schumann's work because they're a little bit romantic mm -hmm. uh, and imaginative and fanciful um, and also very detailed and precise. Mm. Uh, but, and, and Margaret Bonds and Florence Price, they have very different compositional voices um, but, but the, the, you know, the common thread is that they were like incredibly attentive to detail and, um, and also contain all of these references that really should have immediately inserted their music into the, the canon of choral composition. It's like these pieces should be there when you, you know, like it should be easy to get them. They should be like continuing to be printed. Everybody should be, be performing them. Margaret Bonds, when she when she wrote the Ballad of the Brown King, um, two of the things that she said to Langston Hughes, she said um, she said that she wanted this to be a a piece that was commonly performed in the winter alongside Handel's Messiah, mm -hmm. and that's what should be happening with this piece. This is a great piece, you know. It's a wow. it's a piece that should be done everywhere all the time. I don't even know if it's been done in this area before. Um, I haven't be been able to find a performance of it. The um, one thing that we've been really lucky about, especially because um, a lot of uh, the members of the chorus don't read music, um, is that um, Malcolm Merriweather, who's a, a choir director in um, in New York, did do a recording. Um, a couple of years ago, and it's a wonderful recording, and also contains some of the art songs um, of uh, of Margaret Bonds. Um, so we've been we've all been listening to that recording a lot. Um, and he had to orchestrate it himself. He arranged the orchestral parts himself, um, which wow. I I wasn't gonna have time to do. I I tried to get in touch with him to say like, hey, can, can I get a look at this? But he, I'm sure he's very busy too. Um, <laughs> So are yeah. you going to record this, Allie? Because yeah, the the recording, um, the concert will be recorded. So, okay. um, and that'll be uh, wonderful for us, and and um, and it'll be the first uh, recording with our soloists. We're very excited um, to be um, performing with um, Jillian Tate, who mm -hmm. is part of the Yale Opera program and oh um, I know I was looking I was looking at the lineup of folks I was like oh yeah and Miles <laughs> Wilson Tolliver will be the baritone soloist um and and he's performed that piece before but we're super excited to collaborate with him he's a he's a local um professional singer um so so yeah Margaret Bonds she said this this should be poor she she wanted it and it should be performed alongside these other works that have been being performed every year for 400 years. Um, and she said, I want to create a major work for the holidays that young black singers are gonna feel proud when they perform it, that that it's, it's gonna represent them. Um, and, um, you know, like in the, in the program notes, 
um, in, in Malcolm Merriweather's program notes, it talks about um, sort of the, the anti-racist mission of the work is that it, um, it talks about the degree to which black and brown people were involved in this nativity story, that, that, that this, king, this king had a front row seat when the baby Jesus was born. And, you know, Margaret Bonds had experienced horrible racism in her own city in Chicago. When she went to Northwestern, um, they, they didn't let her live on campus. She was excluded from many of the buildings on campus because she was a black woman. Um, and so the, um, the experience of this like horrifically racist exclusion that she, she, um, she herself, you know, it was personal, a personal experience for her. Um, like she, she, uh, it's sort of an idea of healing for her and for, for the singers that she imagines that this, um, African-American person is, um, fully represented in the nativity story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one thing that I wonder about, um, because today, like, you know, if we're going to be honest about what color the Holy family was, they were Brown people, people <laughs> at that time where they lived were not white people. They were Brown people. Um, and you know, would, um, would Margaret Bonds have thought about that? Is, is sort of a question that I have, you know, that, that it wasn't just the brown, it wasn't just Balthazar was brown, probably all of the kids, kings were brown, and the holy family was brown, <laughs> you know, so, and it's a lie, the, 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 it's a lie that we've been telling in art for hundreds and, you know, more than a thousand years, that these people were white, that's not true. Um, but I, I, so I wonder about that, um, if, you know, because I, there's a part of me that longs for the work to be more radically anti-racist and, and more, um, more blatantly anti-racist, um, and which actually you, and you see that in her art songs, we are performing, um, Miles and Jillian will be performing some of our art songs too. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she said, um, she, she showed, a um, sort of more um more revolutionary more re- um activist spirit in her art songs one of the art songs in her dream variations by Langston Hughes is called I I too sing America mm-hmm. did you get a chance to listen to that and mm-hmm. she um and and Langston Hughes essentially like paints this portrait of um African Americans meeting treated as the the dark skinned brother that doesn't sit to, at the table when company comes, and then he says, "You know, in the future, this will not be the way it is, and people will be ashamed. Like it, it will be shameful to the people that did not invite me to their dinner table when, um, when I am invited to the table, and they will see how beautiful I am, and they will feel shame." Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been I've been trying to figure out can I can I weave that art song into the narrative um, of what we're doing um, be, because I love it and and because I think it is the same it is the same um, protest that is raised by Ballad of the Brown King 
you know, that that there's been this story that there were no brown people in the nativity and that it's it's a lie and it's shameful. Um, so I, yeah, I, um, I've been collaborating with Robert Stepto. Mm -hmm. He's, um, he was a faculty emeritus at Yale. Um, and he was my African-American poetry teacher 20 years ago when I was an undergrad there. <laughs> um, so I've been thrilled to connect with him and he's recommending, um, some of the poems, uh, for that will be read. He's going to be reading. And one of our course members is going to be reading, poetry also by um by Langston Hughes and also um Maya Angelou um who else do we have I'm I'm blanking for a second on all the poets names um but um yeah I'm very excited to be collaborating with him and I said you know I want I wonder if we can find holiday poetry that's a little edgier so, so we've been sort of working on that, you know, um, and yeah, it's been a joy to connect with him again. So I'm excited that he's coming. I, I can see your enthusiasm. So the concert, the fall concert is Saturday, December 9th at 730 at the United Church on the Green, United Church on the Green, 270 Temple Street. Is that yeah. where y'all are housed? Is that your home? Like, what do you know? We, we've maybe, I mean, and I'm, you know, I'm only, I've only had this job for a year and a half, but they've only performed there once before. Oh. <laughs> and we actually had like a, a mad dash scramble um, for this place. We were trying to, um, we were, we were looking at, into different places and, you know, this happens around the holidays that all of the artistic organizations are going for the same buildings at the same time. So we're very happy to be doing it there. Um, and we're, uh, we've worked on an arrangement. Uh, like I've worked with the organist and the pianist on arrangement using their organ. Um, so, so we, we're trying to get some of the orchestral sounds into the piece that she would have imagined using the different colors on the organ and the piano. Mm -hmm. And Margaret Bonds was um, a completely virtuosic pianist. She was the first um, African-American person to perform with the Chicago, Chicago Symphony as a pianist. Um, and so we're very lucky to have an amazing pianist playing the piece because it is hard music to play. Um, and you can see that she was imagining she was going to play it. <laughs> so, yeah, cause, uh, you know, it's it's really, really tough stuff. Very, very virtuosic. Wow. All right, so so you've been the um um artistic director for a year. Where where are you from, Al? I mean, I heard you say you're from Chicago. Yeah. So what I have am. you been doing? You know, people come here to New Haven and then they make New Haven their home. So, I, and I love that. So 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 tell me a little bit about your backstory. Yeah. Well, I um I feel like I've been powerfully called to New Haven. I um I left Chicago um as a teen to go to boarding school. And then I was very lucky to get a full ride at Yale um, or as much as a full ride as they gave to people at that time. <laughs> um, and um, I went to Yale and um, I, um, I sang professionally. I also worked as a custodian and in the dining services a long time. At, at, at that time, many of the um, employees at Yale were were um from New Haven and that unfortunately has been outsourced um since I was there some of the people are still there I like I go back on campus and I see some of the people I worked in the dining hall with and some of the people that I worked custodial with 
Um, but a lot of them are not there because they outsource their labor, which, um, you know, that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, but I, yeah, I worked, um, I worked alongside a lot of people in New Haven and I, and then I, I also worked for a couple of years at Sandra's Soul Food. Um, when it was on Whitney, <laughs> I was a waitress there for a couple of years. Then I, I must have seen you. I must have seen you. You probably did. I, but I had a, um, I had a, like, you know, it, uh, like your haircut, like I had like a buzz. <laughs> Um, so, so you might remember that. I don't know. Um, and then I, um, I was really lucky. Um, I got right out of college. I got a job with, the um, pals children's chorus Mm -hmm. uh, in Boston. And that was very lucky for me. They were, you know, performing with the Boston lyric opera, the Boston symphony. It was really fun working with those kids, but I didn't have a degree in conducting yet. So I went um, to Carnegie Mellon um, to get my degree in conducting. And then I came back out here to teach. I was teaching at Choate. And then um, five years ago, I started teaching public school at um, at Worthington Hooker. Um, and then now I have been working with the GNHCC and with the um, All City Choirs. Um, yeah, but I, um, you know, it, it's interesting because the world of classical music, um, it can feel often like it. it's just a, a, a world of just incredible privilege because people, you have to have, you know, you have to have money to study an instrument. You have to have money to like go to these schools. And, and I didn't, you know, I, I like fought tooth and nail and, you know, like didn't have what I needed all through school. And, and so, um, to know that this woman, like said, had such amazing musical achievement, but she she worked as a waitress too. She worked washing dishes. She worked cleaning. You know, to to connect with somebody else that had more encountered more of the difficulties of of busting into this world um, has has felt really um, nice for me. To, she feels like a friend. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a good. Th that's a good thought right there. All right. So, um, how often do y'all um, host concerts? How often do y'all plan? Concerts? We have two concerts a year. So the winter one and the spring one. Um, so we've been working on this one since September, and then our big end of the year concert is going to be the 60th anniversary concert. Um. It's going to be sort of songs about singing songs that we've sung over the past 60 years and some new songs. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. We'll, um, we'll definitely be singing um, some gospel and spiritual. And I would love to find some pieces about singing by these um, African-American composers that I'm now becoming um, so delighted to work with. So, um Yeah. I'm excited to research, research, continue this research project as I continue my career as a choral director. Mm. Okay, so so this is your full time job. Like this is you you eat, drink, sleep music. <laughs> oh well, I mean, I I only work as a musician, but um, from from eight to three thirty, I'm a public school teacher, and I, okay. I actually teach kindergarten through um, fourth grade. 
um, for New Haven Public Schools at, at the Worthington Hooker School. And it's two buildings. So I'm racing back and forth, you know, between <laughs> between the two buildings teaching. I, I have around 250 students. Oh, here my God. I'm in the staff room right now. Oh. You know, this, this is just my prep period. <laughs> Um, you know, and then thank you. Then I, thank you for squeezing the time in to do this. Then. <laughs> uh, it's important. I want people to come. I want people to come hear this music It's music that people need to hear. And I want people to come join the chorus too. Um, so yeah, I, I've got three jobs in total, but the biggest one is teaching public school. But I also, you know, on Thursday nights, I rehearse the Greater New Haven Community Chorus from seven to ten, and then I also get to work from kid with kids from all over the district on Tuesday nights. So, Allie, where do y'all rehearse? Like, do y'all have a home? Like, where where the majority of your concerts, or do you have to go find places to to play and sing? Um, we have to find places. I mean, it, it's not you know, and we pay we pay to rent the hall for the concert. So. Um, but, you know, that's like, you know, the, sort of what we do. And that's what most of the ensembles in New Haven do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So good. I love it. I love it. Well, it seems to me there's a lot of opportunity for you to connect with all the other uh, music performing organizations. Like yeah. The music School and the Symphony. And I mean, yeah, Yale, so all the Yale music stuff, like. There's a yeah. million. There's a lot uh, going on there. Yeah. There's a lot going on. The jazz underground folks and da da da. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um we're very it's a very lucky place. It's a fantastic place to live as a musician. Um, but my question is, Babs, are you going to come to some rehearsals in January to come sing the times? <laughs> I'm sorry, say because that again. <laughs> we would love to have you come to some rehearsals, join our join our singing group. You don't you can just show up and sing with us. I might. You send me. You send me the, the schedule, and I'll see what I could do. Cause uh, we would love I, to have it. It's Thursday nights. It's a great time. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Uh, I, I unfortunately I won't be able to make the concert. That's why oh, I was no. asking. I know I'm. I'm because I'm. I'm gonna go see um the year of magical thinking because you know I'm on the board of Long Wharf Theater and so oh, we're wow. doing a year of magical thinking in in places all around the the city. Um, and so I'm I'm confirmed yeah. to go to a, a performance that night. But uh, I hope that you can um, tape this and then post it up somewhere from your website or something. Oh, we definitely I, I don't want to miss this music. Like I, you had me at Margaret Bonds. Like you literally had me at Margaret Bonds. I was like, oh my god, I had no idea there was choral music. Like oh, I had no yeah. idea there was. Because I only know from the symphony, I discovered these yeah, yeah. women, black women composers. So I had right. no idea that they that there was singing involved. <laughs> right. Well, we we all sh- should know, and I hope increasingly we all are going to know that this music is out there, and that that um that every choir should be performing it. Um. But yeah, I'm, I I wish you could be there, but we're going to record it for you. I, I thank you. <laughs> and, and please send your friends, send everybody you know over. Um, I mean, it's a good problem for us to have that there's too much art going on in New Haven. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, please, please send people in our direction on December 9th at 7.30 p.m. Um, on the green. And then you can buy tickets. Um, you can go to their website, right? They go to your you website. You can buy them online. You can also show up and get your ticket at the door. Oh, it's- that's my <laughs> language. That's my yeah. love language. <laughs> you don't need to make a decision ahead of time. You can make a decision at 6.30 that night. Um, but we, we hope, um, we hope it's going to be a full house. 
Well, it, you know what? This is the season. And people, will yeah. be, the tree will be lit. So you'll be on the green. So the tree will be lit. And people will have all that, uh, all that experience. And yeah. so it'll feel like the holidays. It'll feel like yeah. the holidays. So. And it's all music that um, everybody needs to hear. So I, I hope we'll have a great showing that night. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I, I'm glad that I had a chance to talk to you and to hear about uh, these composers that I knew of um, but did not know all, all of their music. And so this is an opportunity for those of us who are devotees of uh, Black women um, composers. This is a, a, a good concert to check out. Yeah, it's and, a I, great and I love this lineup of folks. This is such an impressive lineup. of. Yeah, it's going to be great. Amazing. Uh, artists amazing composers and um our our choir has been having a great time working on it well you have to come back so that you can pitch for inviting people to come sing right oh great well i i'll i'll um i'll call you up we we actually we sent new members in january so we're going to be doing another recruitment push for people to join in january so if you love to sing come on december 9th Hear us sing at our celebration of holiday music by African-American women. And then come join us in January on Thursday nights um, for our rehearsals. Oh, I love this. So if you have a flyer, I already have the flyer for this concert. But if you have a flyer for the for the recruitment part, send that to me and I'll post that up. Great. Because we would love to be 150 singers. Wow. That's a lot yeah. of voices. It's fun. Yeah, but it, it's a it's really fun. It's really fun to sing in a huge group like that. So I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, Allie, it's been lovely. Merry Christmas. And I hope this concert is fabulously fabulous. And like, it it will be. Is. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much. It was great to meet you. Enjoy the rest of your school day. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> I always so do. Much. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Bye-bye. All right, y'all. December 9th, 7.30, uh, United Church on the Green. Uh, thank you, Harry. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow's Wednesday. I'll be back. I'll see y'all. <laughs>